This is my second ever Zoom call, so I don't know. No. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I said something else. <laughs> no, it's fine. It was Katie Manning who made me join Zoom. Oh, yeah, you're doing well. I do find that Zoom, yeah, I don't know. I, I suppose because I use it a lot. I'm now joined by Sophie Aldred. Sophie, I'm going to ask you the most important question I think you can ask someone in this day and age. How are you? Oh, I think you're absolutely right, Martin. And luckily for me and my family, we're all fine. Thank you very much for asking. And and I think it's you're, you're quite right to ask that question because so, before all this happened we used to sort of say how are you oh fine very flippantly yeah, but actually yeah. be able to really ask somebody no really how are you yeah. is and for them to feel able to say is really important and also I'm like with my parents who I'm so fortunate to still have around you know friends and things it's yeah so thank you for asking no it's problem. a long-winded way uh, of answering that it's the most important question I think you can ask someone yeah yeah. Yes. So, well, how are you? I'm I'm okay. Very well. My life hasn't really changed. Yeah. If it wasn't for my fiance being furloughed, I would probably have no idea that there was a pandemic on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's not changed my life at all. But you're here to talk about the paperback release of your book at Childhood End. So I am. How yes. did this project come to be originally? What happened was that out of the blue, I got an email from an old friend, Steve Cole, who I used to do a lot of work with at BBC Books, um, do audio books and things. And he said, Tom Baker had this big hit with his book the previous year, I think, or two years ago. And Penguin were saying, oh, well, you're next on the list. And I was completely, could have knocked me down with a feather, you know. And he said, is it okay if he and Mike Tucker, who... Uh, was a visual effects, very good friend of mine, well, still is a very good friend of mine. He was visual effects on a lot of the stories I did way back when in the late 80s. Could we get together? And Mike has since written tons of Doctor Who books and wonderful books as well. Could we get together and sort of thrash out some ideas? And Because, I mean, I didn't know where to start, you know. So we did. And we all got together in a very lovely um, cafe in uh, Wendover, which is kind of in the middle of where we all all live, really, this part of the world. And we just started talking, really. And I had just filmed the Blu-ray trailer for, for season 26. Yes, that's brilliant. And so... Yeah, I had some really clear ideas of where Ace is now, you know, and Pete McTie and I, I I was so delighted with his script and so thrilled to be doing that, that I just straight away, I absolutely knew who I wanted Ace to be in this book now, present day Ace. So we talked about ideas and then we all went off and we we had more ideas, emailed, you know, and it was a real, true collaboration. It was great. Couldn't possibly have done it on my own. I hate working on my own. So <laughs> it was great to, to be working with them. What was the collaborative process like? Were you just emailing back and forth or were you meeting yes. up? And- emails, no. It, I mean, even pre-COVID, this oh. was, we've all got busy lives. So we actually just ended up doing it all by email, really. Mm. I really love the character of Squidget, that little gadget. Ah, yeah. My son's read the book as well, and it's difficult to get him to read anything because he's 12 and 
He's at the age where reading isn't cool, but he really enjoyed the book. And he was asking, what are the chances of a Squidget toy? Oh, I'm so delighted. Yes, yeah, Squidget has really caught everybody's imagination. I definitely think, you know, if, you know, if heaven were kind and Ace were to be on TV, Squidget would definitely be a, a companion, <laughs> Ace's companion. So talking about um, Ace being on TV, who do I have to write to to petition them uh, to greenlight an Ace uh, series? Yeah. I know. Well, Chris Chibnall, I guess. But yeah, it, it would be it would be a great thing, wouldn't it, to have? And I noticed last week somewhere that somebody sent me that Russell T Davis had said that Doctor Who should have Marvel type spin-offs. Absolutely, you know? absolutely. And so actually, I texted him straight back and said, <laughs> "Well, will you write one for Get us on then?" <laughs> <laughs> I know you do a lot of Big Finish, and I love Big Finish, but there's something about having all these shows on TV that would just mean so much more to fans. Isn't it funny? I I know what you mean. I mean, yeah. Big Finish is amazing, yeah, extraordinary. Absolutely. It's just kept us all going, all of us, you know, actors and, and listeners and fans alike. And it's a really amazing company. But you're right. There is something about the TV that that mm. makes it kind of, I don't know what the word is. Is it real? Is it more tangible? I don't know. There's something about it. I agree. Yeah. So we haven't really talked about the book too much. How would you describe this story to somebody? Hmm. Good question. Because it kind of starts off very much earthbound and you think sort of that's the way it's going. And it's really Ace. She's now this multi-millionaires living and working in this penthouse, which overlooks uh, Tower Bridge and the Tower of London. So she could keep an eye on unit when they were there. And she's kind of a bit of a loner as, as and she... And then she kind of gets to hear about something that's going on, you know, what's something that's happening. And it takes her back to Perivale, where she came from. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she meets up with kind of old an old friend. And and then it kind of goes off eventually. It, it goes off into space and, and uh, it becomes a kind. So it's sort of in a way... A bit like a mixture. Well, I suppose you could look at survival, actually, uh, back in the day, because that starts off very much Earth-based in Perivale, and then off you go to another planet. So I guess that's the nearest equivalent, really. And Ace kind of broke the mould when it came to companions and was very much the prototype when it came to the modern companion. Obviously, you would have had no idea at the time that this was going to happen. How does it feel to be part of that change in legacy of the show? I can honestly say that it's one of the biggest privileges of my life to have thought that a character that I played all those years ago could become so popular and also influence the way companions went, you know, when Russell T. Davis, God bless his wonderful, <laughs> amazing soul, brought the show back. So, yeah. That's that's what I have to say about that. <laughs> so has the writing bug bitten you now? Are you going to make some more books? Oh, no, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's hard work. It's mm. not like it's not like acting, especially the kind of acting that I've been doing for the last year from my airing cupboard and in various studios where you just get sent a script or a book and you, I mean, there's more to it than that, but you're basically reading, you know, to actually kind of sit there and and go through like this I see it as torment of you know 
the ideas yeah I yeah no I I do enjoy it I could never as I said do it on my own it would it would have to be a collaboration again what's the home recording stuff been like for you Oh, I've actually really enjoyed it. I haven't mm. got as posh headphones as you, and you've probably got lots of fancy equipment. But um, I'll tell you, these were yeah. ten pounds on Amazon. So, oh well, there you go. <laughs> you don't say that. They they look like they could be some sort of nineteen eighties cyber cyberman. That's what uh, attracted me to them. Yeah, yeah, there you go. I knew it. You see, but yes. Yeah, so very early on in lockdown, I thought mm, it's probably worth me buying a microphone here oh i've just noticed just to be really honest with you i've got corn cake all over my chin <laughs> that's fine my glasses are steaming up actually so i'm going to take yes. this moment to uh <laughs> i've just been to the supermarket and wearing them <laughs> i can't see people. in the supermarket <laughs> i know you have to sort of do this don't you and then yeah. this and yeah yes anyway so yeah home recording has been a blessing so i bought this microphone thinking oh well if i never use it that it'll be all right because i'll have a nice microphone and my son can use it for you know various things and i set up a little recording place in our airing cupboard in which is in one of our bathrooms it's a tiny tiny little space and uh, but the sound is is very good i'd been occasionally diving in there kneeling down on the floor and recording Mm -hmm. Uh, stuff for people and somebody had said to me oh my god your studio what's it called ambience or something is really good and I thought "Mm, studio ambient well that must be the towels then the stacked up towels (laughs) so actually it gets very hot in there and then the laptop starts overheating and the fan starts whirring so I have to put that down on the floor at blah 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 but I have a complete respect that I never had before for people who deal with the technology side of it. That's right, because you're having to do everything. You're having to be the candle, oh, the baker, oh. and the, I don't know exactly. how that phrase goes. Yeah, the butcher, the baker, and the candle. That's the one. Maker. And exactly. And also the sense of responsibility. So the very first book I did was with this absolutely lovely producer, who's the husband of a, of a friend of mine, who who is the studio manager, one of the studios I work at. And he was on, he was on, what was he on? Some, some program. So I could hear his voice, but we didn't, we didn't see each other. I was recording on another program. And so, and then I was looking at my iPad. It's all fiercely complex. Anyway, so after about an hour and a half of the reading, he said, okay, well, I think we'll just take a little break there. So yeah, just save that file and then you can send it over to me later. And I went, yep, sure. And I looked at my computer and I just went, oh, golly, who (laughs) didn't hit record? So uh, yeah, I'd completely forgotten. So I had this first day where he was incredibly patient with me. and, And then eventually I got the hang of it. And now I'm slightly proficient i would say in the, in the technology <laughs> do you get really animated when you're recording in the air and cupboard or do you just try and contain it you know i've never really got that animated when i've been doing even studio records i remember when i was doing tree food tom with with david tennant that guy playing my sidekick he was waving his arms around all over the place and getting all gangly on me I think it all goes into my voice so no I I don't really move very much and also there's the added thing of course when you're trying to listen out for is anyone going up the stairs or please don't flush the toilet or (laughs) 
and then move rustling clothes as well. So I do yeah. tend to keep quite still. Mm. Yeah, I, I need to ask you about tree futon because my daughter was that show's biggest fan, and she would do the oh. dance when when the tree food go. She would do the entire yes. dance. Go. <laughs> so, what oh, was your experience like working on that? Oh, uh, it was a absolute hoot. Yeah, it was all the other actors. We all got on so well, and Dave Peacock, who's the one of the unsung heroes of animation, he's just the most incredible producer, sound engineer, general brilliant guy. He kept us all going. And and then Dan Bays, who was the, well, the creator of it, he came up with the idea and, and he's, he's a, another really, really great, brilliant, creative mind. It was a, a wonderful experience to work on. Yeah, it was great. And then, of course, the boy, the real boy at the beginning and the end, I don't know if you remember him, yeah, who yeah. sort of does that dance that you're, you know, he does this sort of thing with his hands and does that. That's my son. Oh, wow. Um, I didn't know that. Mm, yeah. When I first went to do the first day, there were pictures on the walls of what what the different characters were going to look like to yeah. give us ideas of how to do the voices. And I looked at one and I said, sort of, I said, oh, wow, he looks a bit like my eldest son. And the producer said, oh, really? Because uh, we're looking for somebody and we haven't found somebody to do the opening credits. Would he be interested in auditioning? And I said, I don't know. I'll ask him. So I got home and I said to Adam, Oh, they, you know, you could audition for Trifu Tom. And he was not that fussed, actually. It's my younger son who would have bitten yeah. my hand. But he was like, ah. But I, he's very, he was very interested in history. And I said, listen, the audition is at BBC TV Centre, oh. where which is a historical building where so many shows have taken place. You will want to have visited that building. And so he said, oh, yeah, OK, all right, I'll go. <laughs> My husband took him along to the audition. He did some stuff on camera and nobody knew that he was he was my son. And out of all the people they auditioned, he then got the part. And it was so fun because we went down to Puzzle, Puzzlewood, is it called? Yeah, Puzzlewood, where Merlin was filmed and lots of bits of other shows. Beautiful woods down on the sort of Gloucestershire border. I think Gloucestershire, I can't remember anyway. And then the cottage was in Gloucestershire and and he just, it amazed me. He was like a pro. He kind of, he knew that pretty much the first take he did, he came, he sort of stopped and they said, oh, we're going to do another take because uh, something was in the way or something. He said, do you want me to put a mark down on the ground for where I came up to so that oh, I wow. can go to the same place? It was like, where did... Is this sort of something that genetically seeped in or something? Perhaps. But he, anyway, he's now, well, he's 21 in a couple of weeks' time. And and every birthday, people from all his old friends send him the opening titles of Tree oh, Food Tom. that's amazing. Is he, is he fine with it or is it like this one? Absolutely fine with it. That's yeah, he's, yeah, I think he's secretly quite proud. <laughs> Do you prefer voice acting or stage acting or does it all just scratch a different kind of itch? All of it. Yeah. All of it. Give me any acting, I'll do it. When I'm doing screen acting, I think, yes, this is what I want to do forever. When I'm doing theatre, this is what I want to do forever. When I'm in the cupboard, most of the time I go, yes, this is amazing. Yes. As you say, it all scratches a different itch. Very good way of putting it. Do you approach... The different types of acting differently? Like, is there a different skill set for voice acting to stage acting? 
Not consciously. I think it's something that I'm so used to doing now that I just kind of fall into it. So to be honest, I don't think I've ever really thought how overthought how I do stuff. Perhaps, I don't know, maybe it's a good thing, maybe it's not. But I I never went to drama school because I ended up, I went to university and then I ended up saying, oh, one day I'll go to drama school. I've done lots of courses and things, but I tend not to overthink. I think I've become more professional as I've got older. I've got a very dear friend who's a wonderful actress and she prepares like, I mean, she researches and she she goes to the nth degree and she is absolutely brilliant. And I've learned a lot from her through that about, gosh, how lazy I am, you know. (laughs) And so, yes, now I do tend to do more preparation than I than I used to, because I can see that actually that's something that was probably a bit probably missing. Although there is that thing about spontaneity, which I also love, too. Yeah. Can you remember the exact moment you decided you wanted to act? I can't remember the exact moment. It must have been very early on. Mm. What I do remember and my mum my mum tells me about it is that when I was about five, I suppose, I used to put on plays in the garden and I used to boss around all the neighbourhood children. And there's photos of me, these black and white square photos from the 60s with my costume on. I always used to have to be the handsome prince and the director and the creator, obviously. And I've still got this sort of it was from our, we had a dressing up box and I think that really helped as well. And I think the imagination in those days, I don't know, we were sort of flung out into the garden and told to get on with it or yeah. flung out the, into the road and told to get on with it, you know, or we didn't have the same sort of relationship that I've had with my my kids. There's a book I'm reading at the moment, which is fantastic. It's, it's, I can't remember what it's called, but it's all about summer holidays in the, from the thirties to the eighties. Okay. That'd be interesting. Yeah. The author has, she's chosen that cutoff because she said 1980 was when duvets started appearing. And for some reason that's her, that's her kind of, or his, I don't even know I'm saying her, but the book is brilliant. And it, it took me right back to the sort of 60s, 70s holidays or even daily where you come home from school, you do your homework and then you kind of go out, Yeah, you know, and then at some point there might be a meal, there'll be a meal that appears and your mum comes and goes, you know, supper time or whatever. And you'd go in, but you know, we didn't really, we didn't really have that same relationship with our parents. Yes. I, was, I was brought up in a kind of upper middle class household in Blackheath they had no idea where I was half the time, especially in my early teens. I used yeah. to just go, you know, wandering friends on the heath, in the park, playing tennis, whatever. And it literally, I remember my mum saying, this is not a hotel, you know. <laughs> I thought, oh, yeah, yes. Sophie, this has been amazing. Thank you so much. I could talk oh. to you all day, but I know you're very busy. Yeah, so gosh, is that it? Wow, we've done, yeah, we've covered a lot, haven't we? But one mm. one final question. Could we ever see yeah. this adapted to be a big Finnish audio, do you think? Oh, my God. Wouldn't that be lovely? Yeah. I'd, I'd love it on screen as well, or I'm not sure how you do most of the effects. But anyway, yes, big Finnish would be 
incredible wouldn't it an audio version i mean i obviously i've done the audio book of it yeah. which was weird in itself because i actually read the audio book before the book had gone to its final print so it was it was brilliant because i was able to go through my own book and go oh hang on can we just say that instead or i noticed typos that i'd never seen before that was such a a joy to be able to do that but yes to bring it to life as a drama would be That'd great be yeah I've been asked you know who I would like to play certain parts in it and so that would be very interesting to get people's ideas about who could play which character That'd be amazing. Good. Mm. thank you so much for your time Sophie oh it's such a pleasure Martin thank you as well okay how great was that I would just like to thank Sophie for her time and thank you to BBC Books for arranging the interview At Childhood End is available from all good retailers Equipment used in the creation of this feature was purchased for a grant from Gray and the Paul Hamlin Foundation. <laughs>